Good morning. We're reading this morning again from the book of Ephesians, and we'll be reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to God today and in our lives. We're looking at Paul's famous letter to churches in Ephesus, around Ephesus in the middle of the first century. It's uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, Western Turkey. And as I was praying about and meditating on this past, studying this passage this week, I, I really just wanted to underline every word and every phrase. It's a wonderful passage, and it's such a great summary of all of what Christianity is. I just kept, I was like, I'm, I'm underlining the entire thing. You know how some sports commentators are really good at capturing the previous game? You know, some sports commentators, you listen to them, and they don't explain every individual play and talk about every penalty and every score, but they just have a way in a few minutes of capturing the essence of the game, the mood of the game, the momentum of that one game. And they're paid very well to do that, to capture the essence of the previous game, to sum it all up. Or think of historians, if you, if you like history, think of how some historians are really good at capturing the essence of an entire period of history. Think of your favorite period of history, the, you know, the one you like to study or read about or watch movies about the most, how some historians uh, can capture it, can summarize it well. Of course, there are so many people involved in any period of history. There are so many critical events, and there are countless details, right? And yet, a historian, in a gifted way, will be able to capture all of it for you in a limited amount of time or just one book. Well, this is what Paul is doing in the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. He wrote a profound summary really a brief history of how God saves people, the history of our salvation. 
in just 10 verses. So have you ever, have you ever uh, ascended a skyscraper in an elevator and got to the top and looked out over the entire city below you? Or maybe you like to hike or, or climb mountains and you hiked up a mountain and from, uh, from the peak, you were able to see the entire region laid out before you? Well, these verses, in the beginning of Ephesians 2, it's Paul's top view skyline panorama of salvation, and it really takes your breath away. Right? You get up to the top of the building, and you look out, or you get up to the mountain top and you look out, and your breath is just taken away. You read these verses, and if you comprehend them, it takes away your breath. It's a mountaintop passage in the New Testament because it summarized God's salvation. Now, of course, you can't see, if you read these verses, you can't see all the little features of the landscape. You can't see down every city street and alley from that top panorama, can you? But if you read the book of Romans, you can. You see all the details. If you, if you read the book of Galatians, you get all the alleys and the streets and the rivers, the ravines, the canyons. You see all the details, but no. Here in Ephesians 2, it's a brief but all-encompassing account of God's amazing grace to us. And so the story of God's grace is breathtaking, and it's even life-giving. It doesn't simply blow you away in its grandeur and beauty, uh, but, but it, it gives life. It's the message of salvation, as Paul said in his letter to the Romans. He is not ashamed of the gospel, he wrote, because it is the power of God's salvation for those who believe, for those who are coming alive. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about three big ideas, regeneration, sanctification, and glorification. Do you know what those are? If you are a Christian, do you comprehend the words regeneration, sanctification, glorification. Do you know them? We should. And I'll tell you what, I'll put it in a different framework. Grace is our past, our present, and our future. The grace of God is your past, your present, and your future. Grace is in your past, if you are a Christian. Paul describes how bleak and beyond hope humanity was in our original condition, individually, corporately, and universally. So when Paul is talking to the Ephesians here, he's talking about them as real people in time and space. He's talking about you and me in advance. He's not only talking about us as individuals, but he's talking about our church. He's talking about communities. He's talking about people groups and ethnicities and nations and cultures, universal humanity and individual people like Brian. And he's saying that things were bleak and beyond hope. Look at the first two verses where he says, and you, right? So he's, he's the last chapter, he, he was saying how Jesus rose from the dead, and that same power is in you if you belong to Jesus. Now he says, remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, 
following the prince of the power of the air. Let's stop for a second. In chapter one, you might remember from the last few weeks, Paul was emphasizing just how great the Christian has it because of all that God has done. The reason we have it so great is because things were anything but great before. And that's what Paul is doing right now. He says, you used to walk in disagreement with God. The nature of your life, the habit of your life, to characterize it quickly, is to say you were walking away from God. And then he tells us here in verse 2 that we were following the ways of this world as we walked through life. Ultimately, though he's behind the scenes, Paul tells us we were following the prince of the power of the air, that spirit that is in work, at, at work in everyone who is disobedient to God, who is contrary to God. And that is simply Satan. He really directs things from above. From, he, he directs human affairs, uh, but he's invisible. He's behind the scenes. Uh, Satan is basically like the offensive coordinator of evil, okay? You don't see him on the field, He's way up top calling all the plays. And so Paul is saying, in one sense, we were walking away from God with the priorities of the rest of the world. And we were walking away from God following the priorities of evil's offensive coordinator who's running the whole show. This is who we were. And Paul is basically saying, if God were walking one way, we were all walking in the opposite direction. And then in verse 3, he explains it even more, and it even gets more bleak. He says, we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. In our brokenness, in our fallenness, in our corruption, we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And he says, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He talks about the body and the mind. So as we were walking spiritually away from God, our bodies became corrupt. And so good things like hunger became destructive things like gluttony. Rest became laziness or slothfulness for humanity. Sex became lust apart from God. But he mentions our minds as well. For humanity, worship became idolatry. Wisdom became arrogance. Gratitude became entitlement when we were walking away from God. Paul wasn't overstating his case. The Bible is very realistic. It does look very bleak here, but think about it. Just watch the news. Read the news feed. This is a 2,000-year-old prediction of the news over the last week and over the last month and over the last decade and over the last hundred years. Spiritually speaking, this is humanity, Paul says. Now, is it fair, is it even accurate to say that you were dead? Seems very insulting. Is it true that even the best of humanity can be characterized by Paul as dead? Think of like the, the most physically fit, attractive, intelligent, accomplished people, right? like all of you, Seriously, though, like, like the height of humanity as you can think of them, is it fair to say that they are dead? 
Well, spiritually speaking, yes. Respectfully. Uh, Spiritually speaking, their souls are dead, is what Paul is saying. Sadly but true, their souls are dead. As the author John Stott put it, they are as unresponsive to God as a corpse. Without God, walking in my sins, away from him, I was the walking dead. Biologically speaking, we are alive. Intellectually speaking, we are alive. Socially, we are alive. And a lot of people over history have gotten a lot of things done and looked quite impressive. And yet the Bible says, spiritually speaking, they are dead, unresponsive as a corpse in relationship to their creator. But God, verse 4, let's look at verse 4 because these are maybe the two greatest, most wonderful plot-twisting words ever written in any story, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. So in mercy and with love, God brought the paramedics and he got out the defibrillator and he made you alive again. That is regeneration. The concept of regeneration is God gives life to a dead soul. You cannot perform CPR on yourself, can you? Nobody can resuscitate themselves. They have to be resuscitated. Somebody has to perform it on you. And in a sense, that is what is happening when God makes you alive with Jesus Christ, his son, whom he rose from the dead. As the theologian and pastor John Calvin many centuries ago put it, there is no other life than that which is breathed into us by Christ so that we begin to live only when we are engrafted into him. And so Paul's high panorama view of your past is simply this. By grace, you've been saved. You get up there to the top and you look out over your life and you look back on your history and you can say, by grace, I've been saved. I was the walking dead and God made me alive. John Stott also wrote, what Paul's really doing in this passage is to paint a vivid contrast between what humanity is by nature, right, children of wrath, we are called, what we are by nature, and what we can become by grace. By the grace of God, your status changes from an object of just wrath to an object of his grace, from an enemy to a child. Now, we praise God as Christians for our past regeneration, but we don't live in the past, do we? Grace is in your present as well, if you're a Christ follower. The grace that once saved you is now sustaining you right now. The grace of God is sustaining you right now, is equipping you and empowering you to be what he wants you to be. Because he says, if we skip up to verse 10, Paul calls us God's workmanship. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. See that? 
created in Christ Jesus, there's the regeneration, for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. You see that? One New Testament scholar, Lynn Kohick, she says that the word workmanship can be confusing, but a better word would be handiwork, right? Think of a tradesman. Think of a woman who sculpts. Uh, Think of it this way, that we are God's handiwork, that he is not finished with us, that we are a work in progress, that we are God's progressive work during this life. And, And in a way, we're always in the studio with our heavenly master as he forms us, as he cultivates us, as he molds us into what he has created us to be, what he has planned in advance for us to become. And that is what we call sanctification. The idea that God is working in you even now in the present to remake you, to make you more like his son Jesus Christ, whom you have been created to become like. Once we walked in rebellion, right? We were the walking dead, according to verse 2, but now we are not the walking dead. We are walking with God. We're no longer walking in our trespasses and in our sins as rebels. We are walking with God in the new life that Jesus Christ lives in us. So in a sense, to be a Christian means, using Paul's language but twisting it a bit, you've got a new groove. To be a Christian means you've got a new groove. There is, if I may say it, there's a grace in your step. You walk differently. You're walking in a different direction. So my challenge to you today, my invitation to you through Paul's words is to step back into the story that God has written about your salvation. Step back into it. God is working in you. He is working in us. Let's not miss that. As Paul would say to the Galatians, let's keep in step with the Spirit of God as he works in us. You know how hard it is to get something done when somebody is working against you. And so Paul says, since God is working in us, let us keep in step with his restoration plan. And that is our sanctification. Or maybe for a few of you, maybe you need to step into the story of God's salvation for the very first time. Maybe you've never walked that walk. Maybe you're looking at salvation as an outsider saying, what is this? Who is this Jesus? Am I good enough to be with God forever? Maybe you need to step in to the story of God's salvation. Have you been walking your own path? Well, listen, God has prepared a different path for you. Step into it. Otherwise, you got to watch your step. You better watch your step. And we all better ask ourselves, even the Christians among us, we better ask ourselves, which way am I walking? Which way are we walking as a church? Which way are we walking as as a couple that may be married or a family or, or a community group or a ministry? You may lead a ministry or be on a ministry team and we say, which way are we walking? Are we keeping in step? If you are no longer dead in your trespasses and sins, but are alive with Christ, then why do we at some times still walk in our trespasses and sins? Have you asked yourself that question? 
If I who was once dead am now alive in Christ, why am I still walking in the old ways? Why am I thinking? Why am I acting? Why am I prioritizing my life as though I were still the walking dead? Have you asked yourself that question? Where does the incongruence come from? Alive in Christ, but walking around like dead people. <laughs> well, I, it's a, we really should be asking ourselves that question, but not beating ourselves up. Listen, we have to examine the passage further. Let's go back to verses um, um, 8 and 9, okay? He says, by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Do you see this? Paul says that grace nullifies boasting. That the grace of God nullifies any reason for boasting in ourselves, especially about religion especially about holy things, if you can put it that way. Grace nullifies boasting. So maybe our problem is, maybe our problem, walking as though we are still dead, is a pride issue. If you're a Christian and you go, huh, if God made me alive in Christ, why am I still thinking like that? Why am I still doing this? Why am I still acting that way? Why can I not seem to reprioritize my life and move forward? Why do I keep walking backwards in the wrong direction away from God? I think Paul is saying that pride is at the heart of that. I think it's a pride issue. You might still be trying to earn your way toward God. Trying to prove yourself towards God. You're not convinced he'll let you in. You're not convinced he'll love you. And so he says, listen, listen. You are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. And maybe you say, well, what about faith? I mean, if I'm saved by faith, well, I had to believe. It's still a gift. Jesus in John 6 says, you can't have faith unless my Father brings you. So even the act of putting your trust in God, even the act of turning around and walking in the right direction, Paul says here, is still a gift, and therefore it nullifies boasting. Maybe you are trying to earn your way, which is still a form of pride. Or maybe you are trying to find your way without God. You're going to go it on your own. Maybe, maybe you're a religious person or you're a Christian in name and, and in attendance, but practically speaking, you are not trusting God. Practically speaking, in your mind and in your plans and in how you deal with conflict and how you try and prove yourself in every area of your life, you are not trusting in God. You are trying to walk on your own away from him. And that's a form of pride as well. But the grace of God, we are told in Paul's story, in Paul's description, is that boasting has no place because it's all a gift. So maybe we can think of pride in terms of spiritual amnesia. We forget the grace of God. And forgetting his grace, you end up trying to rewrite your story. You write your story with God out of it. 
And isn't that ultimately the, one of the greatest values in our culture today, is having the freedom, the liberty, the power, the knowledge, the pizzazz to write your own story. But Paul is saying, God has a story. Are you in it? Are you walking in it? If not, you have spiritual amnesia. You have forgotten that it was God's grace that saved you. Or you have forgotten that you have a creator who offers you a new step in a different direction. The hope for the Christian is that grace is not just in your past, but it's in your future as well. Let's talk about the future. God has started a work in you, and he's going to finish it, Paul said in another place. God has started his work in you, and he'll see it done. Despite all of our episodes of spiritual amnesia, the grace of God that saved you and sustains you will keep you until the end and into new life in the future and in eternity. Because Paul said in verse 6, right, that what? God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Are you living on a cloud right now? Is everything perfected? Have you died and been raised from the dead biologically? Not yet. Not yet. So what is he talking about here? He's saying that the same God who raised Jesus bodily from the dead has raised us spiritually from the dead and has seated us with Jesus in what? The heavenly places. So you're in Maryland, and yet you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. You are in the United States of America in the 21st century, third decade, and yet you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, which means that your new status is not just a present condition. It's not just that God is working on you now, your sanctification. It's more than that. It means, it means that you have an eternal status. You have an identity now that is kept in heaven for you because God has spiritually woken you up, CPR, on your soul. And so this new reality that you live, you live in the heavenly places, although you don't see it, although you don't comprehend it yet, but it is absolutely there. It is waiting for you because Christ rose from the dead. And so you see grace is your future as well. And it means that your present missteps cannot undo your glorious future. As you get out of step with God now, it cannot undo that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Is that beautiful? He keeps you there, even though you can't keep yourself together here. And that is the grace of God. And it says in verse 7 that he did this. This is amazing. Watch this. This is the breathtaking view. He says that God did all of this. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see this? He woke you up. He brought you back to life. He's sustaining you now. He will hold you until the end and beyond it because he is going to show the universe, angels and demons, all human history, he's going to show everyone and everything that he has been kind to you, that he has remembered you, that despite your missteps, he has kept you in the story. 
to the praise of his glorious grace, as Paul said in the first chapter. So you see now, this is why we don't boast in our work, in our religion. We don't boast because God's the one that says, I'm going to boast. You don't get to boast, God says, because he's going to boast in his work. And his work is you. You don't boast in you because God is preparing a time where he will be able to boast in what he has done in you. For you are his workmanship. For you are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared in advance so that we may walk in them. God will boast in you someday. And that is glorification. God's perfected completion of all that he's doing in you is your glorification. You are his masterpiece. Never forget it. Don't let anybody ever tell you you're dumb, you're ugly, you're undesirable, you're unwanted, you don't fit in here. Don't let anyone let you believe that you are God's masterpiece in Christ because of his grace. That is what you are. Believe it. Step into it. That's your story. Walk in it. God has prepared it for you. The story of his grace is breathtaking, if you can comprehend it. That's why Paul was saying through chapter 1, I am praying that you will understand just how blessed you are. Because it is breathtaking and it is life-giving. So listen, stop writing your own story. Stop it. You have a story. Open it up, step into it, and live it because God has prepared it for you. So the, the panorama, when you get up there, when you look through Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, at all that God has done and what he's doing and what he will do in us, the panorama reveals our past, our present, our future. And your past and your present and your future will boast to the world, will boast to all of creation of what God has done in you. I'm going to pray, but we're setting ourselves up. Paul is setting us up for some amazing things in the next several chapters. But the foundation is this. You don't know how blessed you are. And let's keep praying that we comprehend how blessed we are. I loved how... Uh, Chrissy's talk with the kids, and I'll end here. Chrissy's talk with the kids was a great illustration because she asked them, what is grace? And I don't know if you could hear their answers, but most of their answers were related to grace, but not grace, right? Kindness, forgiveness, getting along with one another. Yeah, all of that is, yeah, part of, part of grace, the fruits of grace, but they couldn't define grace, and that's the American church. We don't have any idea what grace is. We say grace before a meal. We talk about grace. We sing about grace. And nobody knows what it is. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is your past. It is your present. It is your future. So let's step into it as a people of faith. 
saved by his grace. Let's pray, and then we'll sing. Our Father, we, uh, we confess that, that we, we have been so pleased with ourselves. I've been so pleased with myself and, and at times so frustrated that I'm not living up to my own story. Forgive me, forgive us for writing stories that we cannot live by and were never intended to. Thank you that you have written a story. Help us to step into it. Help us to believe that we were regenerated by grace and you are sanctifying us now by your grace and you one day will glorify us in your grace. Amen.